Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this first day of June, 2008. I would just like to point out for those keeping track at home that, yes, indeed, today is the one-year anniversary of the Corbett Report podcast. Over the course of the past year, we have now released 44 podcast episodes created 34 YouTube videos, conducted 31 interviews, and written dozens of articles that have been read by tens of thousands. The success of the Corbett Report podcast and website over the past year has been phenomenal, and I owe all of that to you, the listeners, who have been working to get the information about this podcast and the information contained therein out to the people that you know. Once again, a heartfelt thank you to each and every one of my listeners. Today also marks a special day in that, although it is the 1st of June here in Japan, it is the 31st of May in Austin, Texas, where the InfoWars Money Bomb is currently ongoing as I speak. As it winds down, it looks like it's going to bring in about $200,000 for InfoWars, which will go part of the way towards establishing an Alex Jones show on the Dish Network. Again, this is exciting news and a wonderful victory for truth in this information war. I'd like to thank all of my listeners who have donated to make the InfoWars Money Bomb such a success. And I'd like to remind my listeners also that this website is, of course, brought to you by yourself. And if you'd like to hear upgraded telephone interviews from our website in the future, please consider donating to our current chip-in event, which you can find on the front page of CorbettReport.com. You may notice that my voice is a little bit different this week, and that's because, unfortunately, I've been battling a cold, which at one point left me almost unable to speak. But as long as there is wind in my lungs, and as long as my vocal cords are moving, I will continue this podcast, and I will continue my fight against the encroaching tyranny. To the New World Order, I can only say, with my last breath, I spit at thee. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Our first story comes from PrisonPlanet.com, May 31st, 2008. Suppressed Oliver North confrontation video footage released. In the recovered footage posted here, citizen journalists get a chance to question Oliver North about Rex 84 and COG, the supposed plan for the continuity of government in the wake of a terrorist attack or natural disaster. For daring to do so, these citizen journalists, 
bearing media credentials, were assaulted at the Kentucky Exposition Center in Louisville by thugs who stole their camera memory cards, thus refusing to honor the First Amendment, as fascist thugs are wont to do. Questioning drug runner and convicted criminal Oliver North, not speculation but documented historical fact, about Rex 84 and COG, members were told, this is not a press conference. In other words, they had no right to ask North questions. Again, for daring to do so, they were physically assaulted and robbed. Our second story comes from news.com.au, 26th of May 2008. ABC website tells kids when they should die. An ABC website has been accused of portraying farmers and forestry workers as evil and telling kids how much carbon they can produce before they die. The Planet Slayer website, which can be accessed via the science section on the ABC homepage, also demonizes people who eat meat and those involved in the nuclear industry, a Senate Estimates Committee heard. The site has several features, including a cartoon series, Adventures of Greena, and a tool called Professor Spinky's Greenhouse Calculator to help kids work out their carbon footprint. The calculator lets users compare their own carbon output to the average Aussie greenhouse pig, and estimates at what age a person should die so they don't use more than their fair share of the Earth's resources. Too much carbon production causes a cartoon pig to explode, leaving behind a pool of blood. Our final story this week comes from the Mail Online, 27th of May 2008. Every adult in Britain should be forced to carry carbon ration cards, say MPs. Every adult should be forced to use a carbon ration card when they pay for petrol, airline tickets, or household energy, MPs say. The influential Environmental Audit Committee says a personal carbon trading scheme is the best and fairest way of cutting Britain's CO2 emissions without penalizing the poor. Under the scheme, everyone would be given an annual carbon allowance to use when buying oil, gas, electricity, and flights. Anyone who exceeds their entitlement would have to buy top-up credits from individuals who haven't used up their allowance. The amount paid would be driven by market forces, and the deal done through a specialist company. Welcome to episode 44 of the Corbett Report. Club Bilderberg. Although I haven't discussed the annual Bilderberg meeting before in the Corbett Report directly, it has been mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast. Listeners to episode 43 of the Corbett Report, for example, will remember Sir Richard Dearlove being confronted about his membership in the group by We Are Change UK. I would like to know why you seem very positive about the creation of a National Security Council, um, and specifically, what problem is this designed to fix? Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I'm just re... I, I, to be honest... Did you build the burger? Sorry? Did you build the burger? <laughs> well, yes, I have been to build a burger. So what? What is build a burger, Sir Richard? Um, it, it, it's a it's a conference. It's a gathering in which people discuss issues rather like this. Um, <coughs> but it, it it happens not to be held in public. But that's what. Um, 
Yes, it's just a little club that I go to occasionally. I like to frequent with my close personal associates, like the Queen of the Netherlands and David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger. And yes, we like to go to a five-star resort every year within driving distance of a major international airport, of course, with golfing facilities. And yes, we talk about how the world will unfold, but what of it, scum? What are you going to do about it? Now, everything that I've just parodied there is, in fact, quite true, and uh, it's a lot of information to take in at once, so let's go through it step by step. And as usual, the best way of going through this information and unpacking some of that information is by turning to one of the whitewashes from the controlled corporate media, this time a report from BBC, the Blair Broadcasting Corporation, which I suppose now has become the Brown Broadcasting Corporation. Back in 2003, on their documentary broadcast, Club Class, they ran an expose of a little-talked-about, little-known group called the Bilderberg Club. Let's take a listen to this BBC whitewash, but this time, instead of letting it play through in its entirety, why don't I go through and deconstruct the whitewash as it unfolds? Imagine a club where presidents, prime ministers and international bankers rub shoulders and where royalties on hand to make sure everyone gets along. Wait, 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 wait. Royalty is on hand to make sure they all get along? What the hell does that mean? Okay, back to the whitewash. And where royalties on hand to make sure everyone gets along. Where the people running wars, the markets and Europe say what they never dare to in public. Welcome to the world of Bilderberg, the most exclusive and secretive club in the world. When you're doing good, you do it in the sunshine. When you uh, do evil, you do it in the darkness. I, of course, am absolutely forbidden from discussing anything that has been said on any specific subject by any individual. And every time I raise the issue of Bilderberg, I get sent from pillar to post. I don't really know how conspiracies act, actually. I think if Bilderberg were a conspiracy, I wouldn't be talking to you. Bilderberg meets just once a year. Its cast list is a who's who of transatlantic political and corporate power. There's one important rule. No one who goes is able to say what was discussed or even who was there. For almost 50 years, Bilderberg has operated unnoticed. Even now, few people know it exists. Jim Tucker's trying to change that. If 120 film stars or 120 football players went behind closed doors for three days, all newspapers would bust their butts trying to find out what happened. If 120 of the world's most powerful men leaders in international finance, heads of state, high officials of the U.S. government, get together behind closed doors, armed guards for three days. Why is there no curiosity? Jim is a veteran right-wing journalist. Oh, I see, a right-wing journalist. Well, then, I guess he's not really a journalist, right, BBC? Back to the corporate whores. Jim is a veteran right-wing journalist who's been tracking Bilderberg for the last two decades. He's convinced that it meets in secret because it's got something to hide. 
Well, when you're doing good, you do it in the sunshine. When you uh, do evil, you do it in the darkness. For some reason, it's critical that the world not know what transpires behind those closed doors. You really think they're evil? Yes. Conspiracy theorists like Jim Tucker believe Bilderberg is a shadow government secretly trying to control the world. We wanted to find out the truth. This year's Bilderberg was being held in mid-May, and we wanted to be there. The organisers had promised to tell us where it was being held, but Jim alerted us first about a hotel in Versailles. Rien au Palais Versailles, Patricia. Bonjour, pour ce que vous avez. Bonjour, euh, réservation, s'il vous plaît. Oui. Service réservation, Fabienne, bonjour. Bonjour. Uh, I'd like to uh, reserve a room, if possible, on the 15th and 16th of May. I'm sorry, but the hotel is closed for this date. It's closed? Yes. Right. What, is it a conference or something? Or I just... I've, I've, Tried to book no, before well, closed, and it's never, sure. you're just closed. Yeah. Is this the Bilderberg Conference Hotel? No, no, I don't know what is the Bilderberg Conference. So. Right, but it's, it, there's no one staying there. I mean, the hotel is no. just going to be closed yeah. for the whole weekend. Yeah. Thank you, anyway. You're welcome, sir. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We weren't the only people who were interested in Bilderberg. Mainstream politicians have now begun asking tough questions about the organisation. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, tomorrow in Versailles, as far as I can tell, the meeting of Bilderberg will begin. Now, the reason I raise this question is there have been a number of commissioners, Commissioner Monty, Lekkonen... The Irish Green MEP, Patricia McKenna, presses the European Parliament to find out which of the powerful European commissioners will be at this year's Bilderberg. She's worried about Europe's political elite cozying up with big business for three days of secret discussions. And every time I raise the issue of Bilderberg, I get sent from pillar to post. I should have had a reply on the 25th of April. I still have not got a reply. The Bilderberg meeting is starting at the weekend. Patricia McKenna is part of the anti-globalisation lobby, who believe the world is run for the benefit of multinational companies. She sees Bilderberg as a useful way for big business to get its own way. The kind of Europe that they want is basically a Europe which pursues the current policy on free trade, which ignores the criticism of the anti-globalization campaigners around the world, which has a policy that's geared towards multinational capital, the interests of the multinationals, because when you look at it, the people who are taking part in these meetings are key players in the multinational industries, and it's in their interest that the Bilderberg meetings take place. We arrived in Paris the day that Bilderberg was due to start. We headed straight for the hotel, which we had been told was closed. Police with machine guns now patrolled the perimeter. I headed for the entrance, where smart men in black suits, sunglasses and discreet earpieces were closely checking everyone going into the hotel grounds. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I'm from BBC. I've got my press card, but that's... Um is this for the Bilderberg conference, is this all the... Oh, it's for the conference, yes. Right, right. And is there... Uh, there's no chance that we can come in and have a look. I'm from, from BBC. I know, but it's not possible you here. Right. And there's no, the whole hotel is closed off, isn't yes, it? it's closed. Hotel, closed. We join the other spectators, a handful of journalists and conspiracy theorists who were explaining to the locals what was going on. Ah, I see. Why legitimize their position enough even to call them protesters? Why not just call them conspiracy theorists 
And then anything they have to say is by default not true. What a wonderful little rhetorical tactic there, BBC. Good job. All right, so, so far the BBC has uncovered a secretive conference that's been held in locations around the world for 50 years in almost total media blackout with some of the world's most influential and wealthiest people meeting for a three-day conference and conspiracy theorists think there's something strange about the fact that these people are meeting in secret, but, well, I mean, who exactly goes there, BBC? We knew the meeting would be full of bankers and the heads of multinational companies, but spotting them would be tough. There were only a few familiar faces in the fleet of modest Renault hatchbacks ferrying guests into the safety of the hotel. Hey, here's another room. Um, here's another one coming. Who's in there? Well, it's like Ken Clark. Hi, Ken! Well, there's Ken Clark just uh, arriving. Never He's not saying anything to, to us. No. He didn't really seem to respond when I called his name. They're checking his, checking his, his uh, a bona fide delegate on the list there. The Queen of Spain? Is that the Queen the of Spain? The Queen of Spain, yes. Oh, right. Sophia. Ah. Oh. Oh, I see, just the usual political power brokers, movers and shakers, and people who actually make things happen in this world. Well, interesting. And what do they talk about when they're at Bilderberg, BBC? For 50 years, Bilderberg has kept its affairs private. There are no public records, and Bilderberg's own archives are embargoed. The only information we can be sure of come from the files of the former Labour leader, Hugh Gateskill, taken during Bilderberg meetings in the 1950s. Hello. Ah, yes, Hugh Wilford here. In a drab London University office block, the historian Dr Hugh Wilford shows me the archive where Gateskill hoarded everything from the first conference in 1954 at the Bilderberg Hotel in Holland. Yeah, if I can read some additional items from the Gateskill papers, please. Uh, some items from Inside the copious manila folders, is everything from the helpful Dutch guide to windmills to Gateskill's pad with detailed notes about all of the conference speakers. In his letters, Bilderberg's secrecy was laid bare for the first time. We found this letter. What's, what's this one? This is from Hugh Gateskill to his friend and Labour Party colleague, Dennis Healy, in which he's telling him about the conference. He describes it as a rather special kind of conference, very hand-picked with the proceedings, private, and ends by saying that he hopes that he'll be able to give Healy further details. But meanwhile, would you please treat the whole matter as absolutely confidential, say nothing about it to anybody? So, real secrecy from the very beginning? Yes. Because you can see when you hear about the way that it's set up, why people have these conspiracy theories. Yes, now I can 
quite see why that is the case and the fact that so much secrecy was insisted upon for these early meetings and it's something it doesn't necessarily look very good to the you know, leader of the British Labour Party is consorting with various representatives of the secret services and um, American capitalists and doing so in such a clandestine fashion so uh, yes I can see why uh, conspiracy theories have sprung up and surrounded Bilderberg. Oh, I see. They're just the people behind the creation of the European Union. Oh, well, nothing too important there. I'm glad the press hasn't been covering this organization for the last five decades. So now we have an ultra-secretive organization run by the most wealthiest and influential people in the world, deciding on things of international importance in complete media secrecy. Okay, so let's just turn to the end of this whitewash report to find out what is the BBC's conclusions about this club, then? Martin Taylor may portray Bilderberg as little more than a high-powered talking shop, but to his critics, it would always be an exclusive and secretive club with too much power. Until Bilderberg does the impossible and opens up, that will always be the suspicion. It may not be a global government, but for the world's elite, the discussions they have and the people they meet at Bilderberg must influence the way they run their businesses, their economies and their countries. Well, there you go. There are those who believe that it is a secretive cabal that's running the planet, and then there are those who say that it's just a talking shop. And until they open up their vaults and tell us what they're talking about in a public manner, I guess there's no way to know, so there's nothing that can be done about it. Uh, well, there you go. The wishy-washiest of all wishy-washy conclusions. Just go back to sleep. Now you know about it. It's out there. And, uh, well, what are you going to do? All right, as I say, a complete whitewash. And again, if you want to listen to the entire whitewash, it's about a half hour long. And you can find a link to that show on my homepage, CorbettReport.com, in the documentation list for today's episode under the current time index. This, of course, is not the only controlled corporate media whitewash that's come along in the last few years that's seeking to put people back to sleep and put people off the trail of Club Bilderberg. In fact, there have been more and more reports every year about Bilderberg. You can watch, for example, that thoroughly smarmy and dislikable John Ronson on CNN talking about Bilderberg and how, yes, it is kind of a secretive world government that really does make things happen on an international scale in complete secrecy, but so what? You're just a conspiracy theorist if you think that's strange. Or you can watch CTV news reports from the 2006 Bilderberg Conference, which was held in Ottawa, Canada, in which, yeah, even members of parliament in the Canada's House of Parliament were questioning the conference and saying, who elected these people to rule the world? It's now even finally being admitted in places like the Washington Post, which ran an article just uh, this week entitled, They Rule the World. Now, of course, this is one of those masterfully written pieces of propaganda that seeks at the same time to admit that there are powerful people with wealth and means to make things happen on an international scale, seeking to perpetuate their wealth and power on the international global political scene, and yet, at the same time, deriding people who think there are international wealthy elites who are actually trying to direct world events as conspiracy theorists, and it's a wonderful fine line to walk, and those who do go along with the article, I guess, will have to engage in complete doublethink to do so. But doublethink is becoming more and more common these days, so perhaps that's just uh, 
a part of our zeitgeist, as it were. But let's take a look at some of this article. It's called They Rule the World from WashingtonPost.com, May 25, 2008. And it is a review of the book Superclass, The Global Power Elite in the World They Are Making by David Rothkopf, one of the former directors of the Henry Kissinger Group. And it reads in part, quote, Go to www.theyrule.net. A white page appears with a deliberately shadowy image of a boardroom table and chairs. Sentences materialize. They sit on the boards of the largest companies in America. Many sit on government committees. They make decisions that affect our lives. Finally, they rule. The site allows visitors to trace the connections between individuals who serve on the boards of top corporations, universities, think tanks, foundations, and other elite institutions. Created by the presumably pseudonymous Josh Ahn, they rule can be dismissed as classic conspiracy theory, or it can be viewed, along with David Rothkopf's superclass, as a map of how the world really works. In superclass, Rothkopf, a former managing director of Kissinger Associates and an international trade official in the Clinton administration, has identified roughly 6,000 individuals who have the ability to regularly influence the lives of millions of people in multiple countries worldwide. They are the superclass of the 21st century, spreading across borders in an ever-thickening web, with a growing allegiance, Rothkopf argues, to each other rather than to any particular nation. Superclass is often thought-provoking. For one thing, it is as much about who is not part of the superclass as who is. As I read Rothkopf's Chronicles of Elite Gatherings, Davos, Bilderberg, The Bohemian Grove, all-male, Fathers and Sons, all-male, I was repeatedly struck by the near absence of women. Fortune Magazine's annual Most Powerful Women Summit, the only elite gathering I know of that is restricted to women, didn't even write a mention. And indeed, when Rothkopf summarizes how to become a member of the superclass, his first rule is to be born a man. Only 6% of the superclass is female. End quote. Well, I think those excerpts give you a general gist of that whitewash article as a whole, where the real issue isn't that there are these elites who are literally directing the course of human events through a veil of secrecy maintained by a complete media blackout. No, 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 that's not the issue. That's not the problem. The only real problem is that women aren't equally represented in this elite group of superclass. That goes so far to missing the point that I think that is itself the point. We are being led down blind alleys by people who do not want you to even think about questioning what is really being revealed here. Well, let's turn at last to some real research by real researchers who want to find out what is really going on at the Bilderberg Club and what its implications are for free humanity. Let's turn to a documentary which I have recommended before on the Corbett Report and will continue to recommend, not only for my listeners, who I'm sure many of whom are already familiar with this work, but also for those who have not yet checked it out. I encourage my listeners to make copies of this documentary, which is available for free online, and hand them out to everyone you know. The documentary I'm referring to, of course, is Alex Jones's groundbreaking Endgame, blueprint for global enslavement. The documentary roughly breaks into two halves, the first half dealing with the Bilderberg Conference in Ottawa 2006, and the second half dealing with the eugenics agenda of the global super elite. 
Now, we've covered the global eugenics agenda before on the Corbett Report podcast, so this time let's turn our attention to the former half of the documentary, which primarily focuses on the Bilderberg Club. We're going to listen to an extended segment of Endgame, Blueprint for Global Enslavement, to get an idea about the Bilderberg Group, its history, and what it is really seeking to achieve. For over 50 years, the Bilderberg Group constructed the European Union by stealth under the guise of trade deals. Now the elite are using the same secretive program to complete the North American Union. But this time, superstate integration is on the extreme fast track. International agreements like NAFTA, GATT, and APEC were just stepping stones in the formation of the NAU. The North American Union was officially born at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, on March 23, 2005. The leaders of the United States, Mexico, and Canada told the press that they were only meeting to discuss trade. It soon leaked that a secret meeting had been held during the Security and Prosperity Trilateral Summit. The three governments had refused to release the secret agreement to the people. In September of 2006, their treasonous operation was blown wide open. From September 12th to September 14th in Banff, Canada, hundreds of elected and appointed government leaders from Canada, Mexico, and the United States met in secret. On the last day of the conference, someone inside the secret North American Union forum leaked the agenda. The front pages of newspapers across Canada carried the story. The Judicial Watch Foundation submitted Freedom of Information Act requests to obtain the full agenda and minutes of the secret assembly. Many federal agencies refused, citing national security. The foundation finally succeeded and did receive thousands of pages of documents. The documents marked unclassified are the blueprints of a shadow government ruling by bureaucratic and executive fiat. The pages chronicle an already operating North American Union. Transportation, law enforcement, agriculture, regulation, banking, manufacturing, construction, education, immigration, and even the military are being merged with no input from the people or their elected representatives in Congress and Parliament. One of the first items on their agenda was to stress how important it was that their plan, quote, be carried out by stealth. The controllers also talked about exploiting the public's fears of climate change to push a continent-wide tax to fund the new government. Globalist tool Robert Pasture is incessantly paraded on the world stage as the man behind the North American merger. When he testified before Congress, he pushed the idea of a continental security perimeter that erases national boundaries and merges the security apparatus. The best way to secure the United States today is not at our two borders with Mexico and Canada, but at the borders of North America as a whole. In fact, the North American Command, based in Colorado Springs, Colorado, was clearly running the meeting in Canada. For the past decade, the Pentagon has been training with Mexican and Canadian forces and has openly discussed using them inside the United States for disasters and to quell domestic unrest. There are already over 100,000 non-U.S. citizens serving in the U.S. armed forces. The Pentagon is now expanding its recruiting centers in Mexico, the Philippines, and Eastern Europe. 
Big city police departments nationwide are lobbying to change laws so they can recruit non-citizens to join the police force. What we are witnessing is a red dawn scenario in slow motion. Tyrants throughout history have brought in foreigners to oppress their domestic populations. When their coup by stealth was exposed, the three governments went into damage control mode. The Security and Prosperity Partnership quickly staged a show summit that was held in Ottawa, Canada in February of 2007. It is the only way that we can achieve security and prosperity for our people is through this cooperation. We uh, actually occupy one physical space, the uh, North America. We've also had a chance as foreign ministers to talk about how we cooperate uh, in the region and indeed in the world. Protesters who were upset about losing their countries and freedoms were not tolerated. A couple of weeks ago, an Al-Qaeda supposed... ...whatsoever, the Security and Prosperity Partnership has been... Globalist publications have been open with their frustration that the population has not bought their latest PR stunt. As integration inside the European and American unions accelerates, the superstates themselves are being merged. On April 30th, 2007, a summit was held at the White House. The Security and Prosperity Partnership's secretive approach had alarmed the public. So this time, President Bush, German Chancellor Merkel, and EU Commission President Barroso hid their treachery in plain sight. Thank the Chancellor and Josie very much for the transatlantic economic integration plan. And for that too, we need to develop a common market, common standards. So this is indeed a very important agreement and an agreement that also brings with it a transatlantic economic council to be a permanent body with senior people on both sides of the Atlantic that will look at all those issues in a concrete manner in which way we can make it move forward. The BBC reported that the US and EU had agreed on a single market. By announcing a new economic community integration, they were simply repeating what had been done in America and the EU on a larger scale. The accord states that the two blocks will aggressively push regulatory convergence in more than 35 areas, from financial services, intellectual property, military, education, mergers and acquisitions. They also agreed to jointly push a global carbon tax. We recognize that we have a problem with greenhouse gases. We agree there is a global threat, it's a serious threat. We agree there is the need to establish a limit to greenhouse gases. We need to discuss the possible pricing of uh, uh, CO2. Um, how can we translate this into a market economic compatible scheme? We have agreed to establish a high-level group, a forum. This EU-US result is translated into the G8, uh, debated together with the average countries, China, um, South Africa, Brazil, among others, and India. A global solution to a global problem. Bilderberg succeeds, America falls. All the victimized countries lose their sovereignty. Bilderberg is not a person, it's not an, it's not an idea, it's an ideal, a very powerful group of people working together and from the positions of ultimate and absolute power, destroying every constitution on earth, re 
no matter how powerful the constitution of the nation is, that's what these people do. The African Union arose out of the African economic community shut up in the early 1980s. The African Union is financed by a consortium of international bodies, governments, and corporations. The African Union Army serves as an enforcement arm for the New World Order's exploitation of Africa. In Asia, APEC and ASEAN have announced plans to form the Asian Union, consisting of Asian and Pacific nations having more than 3 billion people within its borders. APEC will become the Asian Pacific Union and the world is to be divided into three great regions for the administrative convenience of the world government in which the UN is to evolve. As the unions form individually, they are simultaneously merged to form the first planetary government. They're trying to destroy every nation on Earth which is trying to promote progress because these people basically they are landowners. Uh, they don't need progress because they control the land. If you take uh, the most powerful man in London, uh, the people who belong to the, uh, to the council and the committee of 300, who belong to the Billiburgers, you know, the British royalty, the Guelphs, the, the, you know, the black nobility of Venice and Genoa, these people, uh, they're landowners. The New World Order is the Old World Order. I mean, it's just the names have changed, the appearances have changed, but the concept hasn't changed. The idea is still to bring the men back, kicking and screaming back to the Middle Ages, post-industrial age world order. One of the things that is very shocking to most Americans is the fact that the United Nations Global Biodiversity Assessment, which came out in 1995, clearly shows that in order to protect planet Earth, we have to go back to a feudal system. They actually said that in the document. To craft a modern feudal society, the globalists are implementing a standardized North American Union ID card to track, trace, and control their serfs as they travel throughout the three regions of the NAU. Again, an excellent, powerful documentary, which I cannot recommend strongly enough. Revealing some of the operations of this global super elite, which meet in private every year at the Bilderberg Conference. Again, it's important to keep in mind that this is an annual meeting of some of the most wealthy and influential people on the planet who have been meeting in complete secrecy for almost 55 years due to the complete blackout in the media, despite the fact that prominent members of the controlled corporate media, including the New York Times and Washington Post, regularly attend the meetings. Even disregarding the fact that these people are currently putting together plans to merge the world into regional governments, which offers no accountability or mechanism for gaining control by the citizens of the formerly free nations, even disregarding that, let's think about the implications of the media secrecy about the existence of this group. Now, there is a very, very apt quote from one of the members of Bilderberg, which addresses this very issue. It was spoken at the 1991 Bilderberg Conference in Baden, Germany, and the quote is this, quote, We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subjected to the lights of publicity during those years. But 
the world is more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodeterminism practiced in past centuries. End quote. David Rockefeller. Yes, no surprise there, David Rockefeller thanking the corporate-controlled media whores for keeping the secret of Club Bilderberg, at least until the 1990s. So let's, for a moment, step outside of the conditioning placed upon us by the corporate-controlled media spin jobs, like the BBC report that we listened to, or that They Rule the World article from Washington Post. Let's step outside that conditioning and think for a moment what that quote from David Rockefeller really shows us about not only the world political structure, but the idea, the illusion of democracy, which is presented to us because, of course, the people elect the governments, and the governments conform to the people's wishes. This is something just so fundamental and so basically obvious about the free world in which we're living that it doesn't even bear questioning, right? Well, I'll let you answer that rhetorical question for yourself. But let's take a moment to examine the other startling revelation of that Rockefeller quote, and that is that Bilderberg's very raison d'etre has been and continues to be the march towards world government. Now, I've talked about the globalization trend and what it really means in a previous episode of The Corbett Report, but I think it bears repeating that globalization is not your friend and that this is being set up on the behalf of the corporate interests, which really pull the strings from behind the scenes to benefit the global super elite. Multinational corporations setting up world government in a global corporatist state. Corporatism, of course, as Mussolini admitted, being the proper name for fascism. The global corporatist state does not have your interests in mind. And just an example of to highlight this comes from a researcher who has been researching and covering Bilderberg for about 20 years, and who has actually written a book on the subject called The True Story of the Bilderberg Group. His name is Daniel Estulin, and you can watch a series of videos by a group known as Snowshoe Films, who interviewed him about the Bilderberg Group, which are available online on YouTube. But before I recommend Estulin's research too wholeheartedly or unreservedly, let me let my listeners know that, in fact, Estulin, although he does provide some extremely important information about Bilderberg, and he does seem to be on our side, actually seems to believe that we are, in fact, really approaching peak oil, that the population really is too much, and he even states in this series of documentaries by Snowshoe Films that, in fact, the ideal carrying capacity for the Earth is between one and two billion people, which is such an extremely bizarre thing for someone who is fighting a group of control freak elitists who want to cull the human population to say. In effect, he's admitting that, yes, we do need to cull the human population. So it really becomes a question of why is he even bothering to fight the Bilderberg group? Now, again, I'm not really sure what to make of this, whether Eschelin is to be taken at face value, whether he is an operative, whether he's being deliberately fed misinformation from his sources inside the Bilderberg group. 
All I know and all I can say is that my listeners should never take any researcher, including myself, at face value. They should always do the research for themselves and always consider things in the totality of what someone is saying. Don't take things out of context and don't take one isolated portion of someone's work. Consider it as a whole. But on this point, at least, I think Estulin's analysis is extremely tight and extremely to the point. And that's his analysis of the globalization system and what it really means for Bilderberg to be putting it into place. Let's listen for a moment to Daniel Estulin. The idea of globalization will again go back to the idea of, of nation states by destroying nation states and destroying borders, creating regional blocks. Suddenly the goods go from one end to the other, but there's another hidden side to it as well. By having the Mexicans do what the Canadians are able to do much cheaper, you're reducing the standard of living. And also it allows, uh, it precludes nations from being free, being independent in a sense that for example, in Russia, a long time ago, the only thing, or in Canada, the only thing that we didn't have in this country were bananas. In every other way, are absolutely, you know, self-sufficient. Right now, in the United States, you know, a, a car is not made in Detroit. An engine might be made in Detroit. A body might be made in Canada, and then you have, uh, you know, the tires made in Mexico. This assures, you know, the global elite that no nation can strike out on their own against the wishes of the New World Order. I think that's basically is what the concept, you know, their concept of globalization, that's not what they're selling the population, but that's certainly the idea that they have behind what globalization stands for. All right, I think it's pretty clearly established by now that Bilderberg is the annual gathering of the world's political elite who meet in secrecy to decide what will really happen in the world. Now again, this sounds like conspiracy theory to the fine folks at the BBC. So let's take a moment to examine, is there any evidence for the fact that these people are deciding on important international issues? Well, of course, the BBC managed to discover that, yes, in fact, Bilderberg was behind the formation of the European Union. But let's take a look at some more recent examples. The American Free Press, edited by Jim Tucker, the conspiracy theorist, right-wing reporter that BBC featured in their documentary on the Bilderberg Group, ran an article on May 19, 2004, entitled Bilderberg, Its Long and Secret History. That article reads, in part, quote, While the mainstream media in 2002 was asserting that the invasion of Iraq would come by late summer or early fall, American Free Press reported that there would be no aggression until 2003. The war began in March 2003. Learning what transpires at Bilderberg can provide a glimpse of what the future holds. End quote. Again, that was some coverage talking about American Free Press's reporting on the 2002 Bilderberg conference. What else can we learn from some of the sources that Jim Tucker and other veteran reporters of Bilderberg have been able to create inside the Bilderberg group? Well, let's look at an article entitled Bilderberg 2007 Agenda and Participant List from DanielLestulin.com. This article makes it clear that in March 2005, Bilderberg participants pushed their oil price predictions up from $55 to $80 a barrel in 2005-2006 to $55 to $105 a barrel in 2005-2006, a prediction that no one else was making at the time and one that just happened to come true. Furthermore, during the 2006 Bilderberg meeting, 
The Bilderbergers agreed upon a $105 to $150 a barrel price range for 2007-2008. Well, here we are in 2008, and we're already pushing $150 a barrel. More predictions came from a June 19, 2006 article from the American Free Press entitled Big Surprises at Bilderberg, talking about the 2006 conference in Ottawa. There were two big surprises that did come from the sources at the Bilderberg conference that year. One being that the European Bilderberg contingent in that 2006 conference split ranks with the Americans and told them that they would not support an invasion of Iran, which was on the cards and predicted by many at the time. Jim Tucker, Daniel Estelin, and others came out to say that the Iran war was off the table for now, something that a lot of pundits at the time did not believe. Of course, as we know, it's 2008 and the Iran war has yet to come to fruition, and one can imagine that is certainly one of the topics that will be discussed at this year's conference. Also at that 2006 secretive behind-closed-doors meeting, the Bilderbergers discussed the housing bubble that had accrued because of the subprime mortgage situation. In that article from June 2006, the American Free Press makes it clear exactly what the problem was and what was likely to happen, because their sources at Bilderberg had confirmed that's what the Bilderbergers were discussing. Again, that big surprises at Bilderberg article reads in part, quote, Timothy Geithner, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, predicted rising interest rates and difficulties for families that have obtained adjustable rate mortgages, or variable interest rates. Many are likely to lose their homes as rising home mortgage rates add hundreds of dollars to their monthly payments, he said. While most listened solemnly and some expressed concern, one was heard to say, stupid Americans deserve their fate, end quote. Keep in mind that that was in June 2006, a full year before people like Jim Cramer of Mad Money started ranting about the subprime mortgage blowout. Again, time after time after time, whether talking about oil prices or the state of the American economy or the likelihood and even the precise timing of eventual wars, as was the case with the war in Iraq, can be predicted simply by knowing what Bilderberg was talking about at each year's conference. This is huge. And for those who think that this is merely a talking shop, and not really anything to worry about because politicians and businessmen talk behind closed doors all the time anyway, one might want to bear in mind that who attends Bilderberg is as much a story in and of itself as what is discussed at Bilderberg. Let's just look at a few case examples. One of them comes from a WashingtonPost.com special report called Clinton Accused, in which Washington Post admits that, in fact, Clinton did attend Bilderberg in 1991 talking about a man by the name of Vernon Jordan and his relationship to Bill Clinton, this article notes, quote, After all, it was Jordan who first introduced then-Governor Clinton to world leaders at their annual Bilderberg gathering in Germany in 1991. Plenty of governors try to make that scene. Only Clinton got taken seriously at that meeting because Vernon Jordan said he was okay. End quote. Again, think about what you've just been told. In the 1991 Bilderberg meeting, an obscure governor of Arkansas is introduced to the Bilderbergers by one of their own. He manages to impress them, and merely a few months after that meeting, he suddenly becomes the Democratic presidential nominee. Oh, you think that's an isolated incident? No, of course not. 
Information on that comes from an Infowars.net article from October 2006 entitled Blair Quizzed on Bilderberg, which reads in part, quote, Tony Blair was questioned in the House of Commons yesterday on his involvement with the secret of Bilderberg Group. Liberal Democrat MP Norman Baker asked Blair to provide a full answer to a previous 12th of October question about Bilderberg and whether Mr. Blair had any involvement in the Bilderberg conference since he became Prime Minister in 1997. The entry in the House of Commons records is below and can be viewed online. Norman Baker To ask the Prime Minister pursuant to the answer of 12th of October 2006 official report, column 862W on the Bilderberg Group, if he will provide the information requested in respect of himself since 1997. The Prime Minister, I have not attended any such meetings. Is Blair telling the truth? Certainly he has lied about previous attendances to Bilderberg meetings, most notably the 1993 conference, which he attended before he'd even become leader of his own party. One year after his attendance, Blair became leader of the party and a rapid rise of power culminating in his election as Prime Minister in 1997, ensued that baffled many political analysts. End quote. And for the skeptical among you, and I encourage everyone to be skeptical, you can actually follow a link from that Infowars.net article to the parliamentary record, which confirms Blair's attendance at the 1993 Athens Bilderberg Conference, again, one year before he even became leader of the Labour Party. There are numerous other examples, but how about one more from the realm of Canadian politics? Even CBC News admits in a Bilderberg group a whitewash that they ran on their website. Quote, Prime Minister Stephen Harper took in the group's 2003 meeting in Versailles, France, while he was opposition leader. But Tucker says the Bilderbergers are not pleased with Harper. It's because of Kyoto. The Bilderberg group, Tucker says, is behind the Kyoto Protocol. They're the ones who pushed it like they pushed NAFTA and the World Trade Organization, and turned NATO into the UN's standing army. It's a step, Tucker writes, on the road to creating world government, end quote. Well, regardless of whether or not the Bilderbergers actually liked Stephen Harper, it is perhaps no coincidence that after becoming leader of the opposition and attending the 2003 conference in Versailles, Stephen Harper and his conservatives magically won an incredibly unlikely victory, giving them a minority government over Canada, something that observers of Canadian politics know would not have happened if it wasn't for the sudden break of a scandal which deposed the Liberals who had been ruling for almost two decades before that point. Time and time and time again, the mere attendance of a politician at Bilderberg presages a meteoric rise in their popularity, a phenomenon that, well, might be worth looking into why don't you go and look up some of the uh, Bilderberg attendee lists that are available online and see which of your politicians have attended the conference in the past and see how that plays into the timings of their sudden meteoric rise to power. So now that I think we've firmly established that knowing what is talked about at Bilderberg and knowing who attends Bilderberg is key to understanding what is unfolding in our world, the question obviously becomes, what next? Well, the answer might come from this article, from PrisonPlanet.com, September 17th, 2007. $200 a barrel oil is Bilderberg planned to destroy middle class. This article reads in part, quote, 
The global elite are conspiring to send oil prices crashing through the $200 a barrel mark as part of an organized agenda to hike profits, bring about a global economic crash, and torpedo the middle class, and they're not afraid to attack Iran as a means of achieving their goal. Crude oil prices returned to near-record high prices today after having surged past the $80 a barrel benchmark on Thursday. Now there is serious debate about oil crashing not just the $100 but the $200 a barrel level in the next two years. The 24-7 Wall Street blog, which is affiliated with both Dow Jones Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal, carried an article over the weekend that entertained the possibility of oil tipping the $200 mark, citing experts in the industry who expect the $95 a barrel level to be surpassed by the end of the year if the recent stock market turmoil continues. The ultra-secretive Bilderberg Group, a consortium of power brokers from banking, business, politics, academia, and oil, met, met in Munich, Germany in May 2005 when crude oil prices were around the $40 a barrel mark. During the conference, Henry Kissinger told his fellow attendees that the elite had resolved to ensure that oil prices would double over the course of the next 12 to 24 months, which is exactly what has happened. During their 2006 meeting in Ottawa, Canada, Bilderbergers agreed to push for $105 a barrel oil before the end of 2008. This information was gleaned from sources inside Bilderberg who have proven reliable in the past. End quote. Of course, that article in itself was written at a time when oil was pressing the $80 a barrel mark, and it was mere speculation that oil would even crash the $100 barrier, which of course by now we've not only crashed but absolutely soared past. $200 a barrel oil is a very real possibility. And it's important to know that when people make predictions about important geopolitical events, and time after time after time those predictions come true, perhaps there is something more to this than a conspiracy theory. Right, BBC? To that end, I wholeheartedly recommend that my listeners keep up with this year's conference. This year's 2008 Bilderberg Group meeting is going to take place in Chantilly, Virginia, near the National Reconnaissance Office, who we all know was involved in running simulations of hijacked jets running into government buildings on the morning of 9-11. What a coincidence. So it should be an interesting meeting, to say the least, right there in Spook Central in Virginia. Of course, the usual suspects will be covering this conference, including Jim Tucker, who lives not very far from Chantilly, Virginia, and Alex Jones will be flying to Chantilly to cover the conference, and he will be phoning in live reports to the Alex Jones radio show on Thursday and Friday, and perhaps on Wednesday as well. So please, I urge my listeners, if they have not subscribed to the Alex Jones Show podcast, to do so to stay up to date with what's happening at this year's Bilderberg. This is not just a talking shop. This is not just a place where the elite go to hobnob free of the paparazzi that are always following them around. This is a place where your future is being decided. I would like to leave you today with that speech, which I think history will prove to be the defining speech of our age, much as the speech of Patrick Henry from March 23, 1775 became the defining speech of the American Revolutionary Time. Again, I encourage listeners to listen to my episode on the Panopticon, the end of which contains that famous Patrick Henry speech, and compare it to this speech. Surely no one else has articulated quite as clearly what we are facing 
as Alex Jones did when bullhorning the 2006 Bilderberg Conference in Ottawa. That's it for today. Thank you for joining me, and join me again next week for another edition of the Corbett Report. The people of the planet are free. Humans, since the beginning of civilization, have struggled against tyranny. We are here with a new declaration of independence, a declaration of free people on the planet Earth, resisting your tyranny. We do not want your American Union. We do not want your European Union. We, we wish to live in peace and be free, just as you wish to have your secret meetings and be left alone. We are here at great danger and great expense, and with great courage, to stand up against your enormous power. We know you are ruthless. We know you are evil. We respect your dark power. But you should know that as you attempt to set up your world government, you're facing greater and greater problems. Your agenda is faltering. Free humans everywhere know what you're doing. The people have woken up to what you're doing. You're attempting to shut down the Internet and the free press. You are failing. The cat is out of the bag. The truth of your world government has now been exposed. We will expose the new world order. We will expose the global crime syndicate. To David Rockefeller, to the Rothschild representatives here, to the Queen of the Netherlands, to all of you, we tell you, you are not our queens. You are not our kings. You are not our gods. We do not belong to you. We are not your slaves. We stand as free humans have stood since the beginning of time against the strong men, against the thugs, against the bullies. We are here telling you that we will resist the new world order. We will defeat your world government. We will defeat world taxation. We will defeat your control grid. God is on our side. And I stand before the creator of the universe. And I ask the creator of the universe, as our founding fathers did in 1776, to lead God and direct us and to give us the power and the foresight and the understanding and the will to stand against your entire agenda, including your final plan of world population reduction of 80% that Henry Kissinger penned in 1973. We stand here as free human beings that love our families, that want to control our own destinies. I know that you have the excuses that you claim you have to have world government to stop world war, but in truth, architects of World War II are sitting in your building right now, like Queen Beatrix, her late husband, SS officer. We are here simply trying to defend liberty. You have threatened us. You have threatened our countries. You have threatened our sovereignty. You have threatened our livelihoods. Your world government and your own statements and your own policy reports are detrimental to the average man, woman, and child. You have more power and more money than you could ever spend. You own the central banks that print the money. Why then do you continue to try to dehumanize us? Why do you put mercury in the vaccines, stannous sodium fluoride in the water? Why? Why do you put cancer viruses in the vaccines? Why have you used depleted uranium now in four separate nations? the equivalent of 44,000 A-bombs of uranium now in the atmosphere. Why are you doing this? Why are you so dark? Why are you so destructive? Why are you destroying your own future? You're arrogant. You have the sickness that elites have had throughout history in their literal and, in some cases, figurative ivory towers. You believe that you're invincible. You are your own greatest enemy. 
You are an enemy of humanity and the human experience and everything that we are and everything that we could be. You are threatened by the dynamic human free spirit. You are monopoly men. You monopolize the economic system. You try to monopolize the spiritual systems because you're threatened by independent middle classes developing their own industries that you believe will threaten your monopoly of control and power. We here, the free peoples of earth, stand against you and your wickedness. The numbers are growing every day. Millions of people every day wake up to what you're doing. They understand your program of control and they will resist it. Again, we implore the creator of the universe to aid us. We pledge our lives, our bodies, our sacred honor, our treasure, all on the line against you, the neo-fascist corporate royalty. We tell you now that your abuse must end. We tell you now, listen to the voices inside Bilderberg that understand the truth. We tell you now that we know there's dissenting voices in your ranks who say that what you're doing is dangerous. You're hurtling the world towards World War IV, as you call it. We ask you to reconsider your wickedness and your evil. You are being led by a very dark force. You have been manipulated and deceived yourselves. You know at the end of your days now, many of you, that all the evil and all the power has not filled you. No matter how many wars and how much evil and wickedness you engage in, you feel more and more hollow every day. Let me tell you now that I have no fear of you because I've already lived a wonderful life and I've lived for what's good and what's decent and what's beautiful and I believe in the human spirit. My life is overflowing. I am so incredibly happy. I am empowered. I am empowered by the life force. I am empowered by creativity and goodness and the light. You are filled with the black pits of hell. You are filled with darkness and it will never quench your thirst. Some of you can turn back. I remember interviewing Charlotte Israby, whose father was a member of Skull and Bones in Bohemian Grove, and as he lay on his deathbed dying of cancer, that elite member, that elite member that traveled in your highest circles, repented of what he'd done and cried his guts out. And I believe that man will be in heaven. He won't be visiting where some of you are going in the depths of Hades. The elite of the world, and that's you, have been waging war on the people, waging war on any free populations, attempting to create your world government, a monopoly of thought, a monopoly of science, a monopoly of finance. You are destroying this species. You are destroying our development. You are bad social engineers. You're like a lion who comes into the prime that comes into the pride and goes after the cubs because you're threatened of them rising. You're threatened by them. You seek to, to feed on your own species. You're an upper predator class that, that is trying to engineer us and dumb us down so we're more easily fed upon. You will and you are failing now. Your new world order will fall. Humanity will defeat you. The answer to 1984 is 1776. The answer to your 1984 world is the world of 1776. The human spirit has always risen against tyranny. The human spirit has always overcome fear. The human spirit has always resisted the bully. 
and we are resisting you now as we will for eternity. Because ideas are bulletproof. And as we all here standing are flesh and blood, the idea of human liberty and human freedom is bulletproof, and you will fail. Your children will rebel against you. Your wives will rebel against you. Your husbands will rebel against you. Because the truth and decency and freedom is beautiful and is wonderful, and it is the holy grail you've been seeking that's been right under your nose. Be good. Turn from your wicked ways. Say no to global government. Say no to engineering the human species into a slave state. Your tyranny has failed. You've already been defeated. You can already feel the rumblings as your supports crumble underneath you. The crises you thought you would create to bring in world government is the crisis that will undo your system. History shows it. You believe your students of history? Look at history. You will reach your world government. You will gain your new world order. But right as you grasp it, you will feel the floor beneath you falling. At the very moment you gain the apex of your power, at the very moment you climb to the summit of that mountain, your defeat is ensured. What you seek is your undoing. You have been defeated. I do think that, by and large, many members of the Bilderberg Group actually see themselves in much the same way as the conspiracy theorists see them, as this shadowy cabal.